Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, an in-depth, deep dive into Western alienation with three interviews of people with very different perspectives on what the problem is and how it might be solved. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to another on-location edition of The Andrew Lawton Show, Canada's most irreverent talk show on True North. Once again, coming to you from Alberta, while well, I'm here producing assaulted Justin Trudeau's war on gun owners, talking about the things that are affecting gun owners, people in the gun industry, sports shooters, all of these folks whose stories are not being told by the mainstream media and whose experiences are being completely disregarded and rejected by Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. I do actually want to focus on another Western topic on this show, which is Western alienation. Last week, I spent a bit of time talking about the carbon tax and the Supreme Court's decision that the carbon tax is unconstitutional. And one point I raised in that discussion was Western alienation. Because the Alberta Court of Appeal found that the carbon tax was unconstitutional. Jason Kenney has been a very fierce opponent of the carbon tax, arguing that Alberta can look after itself, not just in this area, but in many others. And when the federal government is not just imposing a carbon tax on Albertans, but continuing to ramp up efforts to really diminish the power and scope of the energy sector, it's easy for people in the West to get more and more unnerved by the situation. And these were topics that were spotlighted at a conference a few weeks back in Lloydminster, Alberta, that dealt with Western alienation, the Freedom Talk Conference, which had to take on a bit of a virtual slash hybrid format. There were a few people in the room because you were allowed to under the public health guidelines, but most people tuned in. I was fortunate enough as a speaker to be there and talking about, in a lot of ways, the media bias and that aspect of the discussion. But I also sat down with a few of the major players in politics, a couple of whom are very strongly in the independence discussions in Alberta, to talk about how the West can get what it wants. And one important thing to point here, especially for people who aren't from Alberta or Saskatchewan or B, the parts of BC that tend to be good on these issues, not Vancouver, no offense to those who are tuning in from Vancouver, is that Western independence isn't just about separation. And, you know, there are a lot of people that are saying, we're done with Confederation, we want out. But a lot of people say, listen, I love Canada, I love this country, I don't love Ottawa. And that's a very important distinction. People that say they like the country, but not the government, separating the government from its people and from other aspects of the national existence. And a lot of those people are very open to finding a new way to make Confederation work. But you need a fierce ally in Ottawa, or at the very least someone who's receptive to what you need, and you need a strong spokesperson in Alberta, which there is some contingent of the conservative base in Alberta that doesn't think Jason Kenney is doing that. But I wanted to talk about this from a few different perspectives. One of them was my conversation with Danny Hozak, who is the chairman of the Economic Education Association of Alberta, which puts on the Freedom Talk, and he's invited me out a, a number of times. But he also has a very unique perspective on this. And, and what he said time and time again is that it's not about separation, 
It's about understanding that you have to work towards a process that is better for Alberta and an outcome that is better for Alberta. And if everyone along the way decides to abandon that, he says separation is the last resort. But here's my conversation with Danny Hozak, outlining a number of the themes of the Freedom Talk, but also in general, the themes of independence, keeping in mind that Jason Kenney has promised a referendum on equalization. You've done nine of these Freedom Talks now. This is my third. I've had the great privilege of coming for the last three years in a row now. This one's a little bit different. You've had to do a combination of virtual and a small yeah. number in person. But in the time that you've been doing this, the dialogue has changed about independence. Would you say things are getting better or worse? Well, it's getting better for the independent side because things are getting worse in our province and our country. What is it that you feel needs to be the goal now? Because I, I know there has been a lot of talk at, at both this conference and also last year in the summer when you were talking about the referendum. Is that really the best hope right now or is it just one of many tools? I think it's just one of many tools. And I mean, I think uh, th this is a, th there's a combination of things that need to be done. But the first thing that Albertans have to do is they need to set their mind to taking charge of their own destiny. And there's a whole list of things, you know, in our last conference, we called it the firewall plus. You know, I mean, we need to we need to do those things. We need to have our own police force. We need to have our own pension. We need to collect our own taxes. You know what I mean? And so we need to do these things. We need to sort of pre prepare ourselves for adulthood, if you want to call that, in our country, where we take charge of all these things. Quite frankly, and I think Paul Heyman makes a good uh, case. He said, like, we're not ready for flat-out independence yet. We have a lot of homework to do before we're ready. So I think that's our goal is to sort of facilitate that discussion, help prepare Alberta for the future, help them you know, be ready to take charge of their own destiny. One of the interesting things about the discussion you facilitated about the referendum is that it's not just about independence. It's not just about do we leave or do we stay or do we change equalization. You've actually tried, and, and John Robson, who spoke uh, first thing, I think, on the conference yes. Friday morning, had advocated for really expanding the referendum to become, in many cases, I don't mean this in a, in a negative way, but a laundry list of, of questions that even go down to specific policies. What was the thrust behind that? Well, he, we, we're to, like the referendum you're talking about expanding is the referendum that Jason Kenney has mm -hmm. promised for this fall on equalization. And the, our thrust was, well, if we're going to take the time and the, spend the money to have a referendum on equalization, quite frankly, most of us, you know, we think Jason campaigned on doing something about equalization, but if he thinks we need to have a referendum to garner more public support for it, that's fine by us. But there's, a, like, time is marching on here. We had the uh, Fair Deal panel. They recommended we have our own police force. The government's response to that was to study having our own police force. Like, I mean, we want to have a referendum and say, look, we the people think we should have our own police force, not should you study it, we should do it. Just figure out how to do it, just the way we figured out to get you know, oil out of sand. Figure out how to do it. Figure out how to collect our own money. Figure out how to have our own pension plan. So, so we want to expand the list, and we're talking about that right now downstairs. We're talking about what five things should we ask uh, the Alberta government to put on, the, uh, put on the ballot. And right at the moment, the police force is at the top of it. And I think uh, every time Justin Trudeau talks about taking our guns, you know, support for our own police force so that we have, you know, can, mm -hmm. we're the, we can discipline ourselves, so to speak. So anyway, we're hoping to come up with four or five questions that we will suggest to the government. Say, look, why don't you include them on the, uh, on the referendum this fall? And I, I think that there's something to that because the, the equalization is probably one of the most notable examples of how uh, the East can take from the West. But 
it doesn't really encapsulate the entirety of the problem, which is a, a lack of independence in, in confederation. And I, I wanted to ask you about that because I know that the prevailing chorus has historically been, you know, not necessarily a separation, but separation if necessary. Absolutely, not necessarily yes. independence, yep. But yep. if necessary, what are the things that you would want to see happen between now and that point that would make it so that that anger that fuels the separation dialogue isn't as potent. You mentioned police force. What else? What else is being put forward? Well, uh, th there's the police force collecting all the taxes in the province. The uh, uh, having our own pension plan. I mean, there's 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 lot like we 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 subsidize the Canada pension just about as bad as we subsidize equalization. So we need to do that. So there's there's the, there's the police. There's the pension. There's the collecting our own tax. There's having our own unemployment program. And you know more and more you know, being in charge of our own. Uh, uh, immigration, saying, look, I mean, when we've got a hundred and some thousand unemployed, unemployed, you know, workers, maybe more, maybe two hundred thousand, we don't really need any more equal. We don't need any more immigration until we get that sorted out. So uh, there's a list of those things. Again, it goes back to the firewall plus. Yes. And a lot of what you're describing, there's precedent for in Canada. People tend to overcomplicate things by saying, well, you're going to need this constitutional amendment and, and this and that. But a lot of what you're describing exists squarely within provincial jurisdiction. There just hasn't been a province that's availed themselves of it. And why do you think historically, you've been involved in Alberta politics for a long time, even prior to the Redford years, yeah. why did conservative leaders in Alberta not do this? You know, quite frankly, I think it was because, like, we were so wealthy, the money was rolling in so easily. It was just, they were, quite frankly, it was a failure of leadership. I mean, to me, like if they had been the, the if they'd have been the board of directors of a public company, they'd be getting sued for malfeasance right now, the way they have, like, uh, mishandled negotiating for us. I don't blame Quebec for what they've got. I blame the people that we hired to represent us. And I mean, we've been poorly, I mean, some of these are my dear friends, but I mean, at the end of the day, they haven't served us well with, uh, with, with, with the way they've let us down in some of these negotiations. And so, you know, I think it just boiled down to, you know, when, when life is easy, I mean, the money was rolling in so easy, it didn't really matter. And I mean, Paul Heyman practically begged the finance minister not to sign the, re-sign the equalization thing in 2004. And, uh, and she wouldn't do it. I mean, had we done it then, you look back and say, if only, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you do mention something important there, which is that... Uh, when things are really great, the energy sector's booming, the economy's booming. Alberta was fairly charitable. Now, some yeah. of that was structurally, not yeah, necessarily yeah, by yeah. choice, but, but Alberta was fairly charitable. And then when the tide turned and when Alberta was going through its own hardship, it was still subsidizing the rest of Canada, but Albertans were suffering. And you're right that there was a, a bit of a shift there where Alberta was all of a sudden saying, okay, well, we've been doing so much for the rest of Canada for so long. Where's the support for us now? And instead, what do we have? Other provinces that are uh, resisting pipelines, federal leaders from the Laurentian elite that are trying to say we don't need the energy sector, we need to phase out the oil sands. And, and, you know, Alberta was there for Canada, but Canada wasn't there when the chips were down for Alberta. Yeah, like, not only were they not there for us, like, they were actively working to make our life more difficult. Mm -hmm. and, you know what I mean? And so, like, it's... Uh, and after a while, you just say, well, this is crazy. You know what I mean? And uh, so, and I mean, more and more people are starting to say that now. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens as we go forward. One of the things that I, I have to commend you on, even in the span of the last three Freedom Talks I, I've been at, the level of frustration is still there. 
but it seems to get a bit more focused and a bit more channeled every time. And, and now, even what you've been talking about, about synthesizing all of these referendum questions that you want on, on there, there, there's a very productive approach to that. But at the same time, you still need people in elected office to listen. You, you do. And I mean, the, the thing is, in fairness to them, the people in elected office can't go somewhere that the people haven't decided they should go. You know what I mean? So they have their role to play. We have our role to play. You know what I mean? And uh, we have to re be respectful of the fact that they're doing what they think is best for the province. You know what I mean? But, and, 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 and again, I don't blame our leaders so much as sometimes the people who were voted for them were... You know, they were, they were just too casual in saying, well, it's, it'll probably be all right. And so, and I think we really have, we've been leading the discussion on climate. We've been leading the discussion on debt and deficit. Now we're leading this discussion on, on the questions that should be on the ballot. We pride ourselves, uh, you know, mostly with the, uh, the uh, you know, the guidance and the counseling of uh, John Robson say, look, Let's be the adults in the room. Let's be. Let's try and have a, an intelligent, respectful discussion of what the issue is. Let's look at you know what the options are. Let's look at the pros and cons of the different options, and then let's let the people decide what we should do. Just like we're doing right now, we're we're using that Slido app with some of the people are in the room and some of the people are online. We're saying, okay, this is the options. How many of you are in favor of this? How, you know what I mean? And so we're trying to facilitate the discussion, and we're trying to get more and more people involved, which, as you know, is a is a challenge. But I want to say. While I'm, while we're talking, is yeah. is how much we appreciate like the independent media and what you and True North do and our friends at the Western Standard and the Rebel News. I mean, well, not to toot our own horns, but we've been the only media that have covered these conferences, uh, uh, which have been uh, uh, tremendous. I remember the first one I was at pre-pandemic, over four hundred. Four hundred people. people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and uh, and not one person from the two point four billion dollar subsidized mainstream mm -hmm. media even commented on it, let alone came and yes. commented. And so, yes, I mean, we wouldn't be getting our message out at all if it weren't for you, and we are very grateful for that. And I mean, I think it's good business for you. You're obviously hopefully finding a market that, but I, you know, I like uh, John made that point uh, yesterday morning. He said like, like for all you folks like that, you know, have two or three coffees every day at Tim Hortons, no disrespect to Tim Hortons, but if you gave that some of that money to independent media mm -hmm. and, uh, and if you want to win, we're going to have to do it. And one of the things that you and I talked about when we were discussing you coming this time, we said there's no point having a referendum if we don't have independent media to get the facts out there to the people because yes, so many yeah. people, all they know is what CBC told them, which as you know is increasingly further and further from the truth. <laughs> Absolutely. So Alberta could have its own public broadcaster yeah, if it right. wanted beyond yes, CBC. That, that, that's right, yeah. Uh, Danny Ozak, I appreciate you letting me be a part of this, both as a journalist and also as a speaker. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. We have, we'll look forward to seeing you at our next conference. Okay? Absolutely. Thank you. I have got a lot of time for Danny, and I must say, I think it's interesting how he's framed this as being not just about equalization. In a lot of ways, equalization payments that Alberta has to give to subsidize other provinces like Quebec and Atlantic Canada, these are certainly frustrations, and it's a very reasonable thing to be concerned about. But in a lot of ways, it's not the be-all and end-all, and it tends to overshadow other feelings of alienation that people in the West have. And one of the interesting discussions that came about was the comparison between Alberta and Quebec. Now, a lot of Alberta conservatives or Alberta independence-minded folks uh, very much rejected this because they see Quebec as being the example of, you know, just the greatest leech in Canada. That's the perception to a lot of Albertans. But one thing Quebec has done, or a number of things Quebec has done very well, is asserted its independence on things and said to the federal government, you know what, come and get me. And now, Quebec is a bit different because it has a language basis 
for its cultural identity. And that's a language basis that the government of Canada historically wants to accept, or at the very least is scared of. Nevertheless, Quebec has done what a lot of Albertans want to, which is bring a lot of things that are currently under federal jurisdiction into the provincial realm, whether it is a police force, whether it is a pension plan, or any number of policy areas. And Maxime Bernier, the leader of the People's Party of Canada, on whose show I actually appeared as a guest just a few days ago, he was one of the speakers. Now, he's a federalist. He's not from Alberta. They call him the Albertan from Quebec, but he's a guy who very much wants Canada to stay together. But he was saying that Alberta can learn from Quebec, which I found was interesting. And talking to some of the few attendees who were at this conference in person, it was interesting how a few of them actually had their backs up against the wall at first, but then they ended up being a little bit more receptive to it once they heard, oh yeah, there's a framework for this. We're not reinventing the wheel. Provinces have proven that it is possible. You just need the political will to do it. This was my conversation on Alberta independence with the so-called Albertan from Quebec, Maxime Bernier. You've had for quite a while the nickname of the Albertan from Quebec, and it's actually interesting. You're embraced uh, quite robustly here at these Freedom Talk conferences. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about what it is that Alberta and Quebec have in common, because I, I know that a lot of Albertans have a lot of resentment towards Quebec because of all the money that Quebec has taken in equalization over the years. But Quebec has also done in a lot of ways what Alberta keeps talking about wanting to do. Yeah, yeah. What I said yesterday, it's uh, it's important for us in Canada to know that we we uh, politicians in Canada be sure to know our constitution and respect our constitution. And the only way to have changes in this country is to have a radical decentralization, a downsize of the federal government. And actually, it would be good for Alberta. But like in Quebec. Quebecers are asking for more autonomy, and I think Albertans are asking for that. And the discussion that we had yesterday was about, you know, um, is it good if Alberta has its own uh, police force, uh, own uh, pension plan, uh, own uh, immigration selection system? I said, you know, Quebec has that, and Quebec is doing that, so you can, because it's in line with our constitution. So you have to do it. And, and, and you don't need to wait for having the approval from the federal government. Do it yourself. And each time the federal government will come with a national program that usually are unconstitutional, you'll be able to ask to opt out and having the money for that. So uh, I, my goal was to tell them that what you want is doable at the provincial level. So elect a, a, a a political party at the provincial level that believe in more autonomy for your province and do it and don't ask any permission. You said something interesting about that that I hadn't really considered before, which was that the Bloc Québécois, which I think for many people, certainly in, in Canada outside of Quebec, is the face of, of the Quebec sovereigntist movement, the Bloc Québécois has done very little to yeah. advance Quebec's interests. You say it's all been done at the provincial level. Yeah, absolutely, you're right. Uh, the Bloc Québécois did nothing to promote more uh, decentralization. That was always the provincial government, liberal government or PQ government or ADQ government. They all believe, you know, when you're a politician, you want to control, you, have, you yes. want to have a lot of power. And, and that's what 
Quebec, Quebecers, politicians at the provincial level want. So the Bloc Québécois did nothing to promote the, the separatist uh, movement during the uh, 1980s or, or before or after that. That was the, the Quebec government who did all that. So that's why I'm saying, you know, if you, if you want to change at the federal level, don't vote for a kind of a Bloc Québécois party for Western Canada, because if you want a real change in this country, you'll need to, to say the same thing all across the country, to, to speak for every Canadian across the country. And so that's why I was saying, you know, don't vote for the Maverick Party. That's not the solution, because if you're really independentist and you want, or you want more autonomy, vote at the provincial level for the Wild Rose Independence, Independence Party. A lot of people could accuse you of, of flirting with separatism when you talk about these things, but in actuality, you're proposing what many would argue is the original form of federalism, which yeah. was very strong provinces combined together in a federation with a federal government that has, relatively speaking, little power. You were in the think tank world. You've been in law. You, you've seen history. When did government get so big at the federal level? When did that really happen? But it happened in the 1970s and uh, when you have the separatist movement in Quebec at that time and also in Alberta at that time. Don't forget, Alberta elected a first uh, a separatist uh, member of the Legislative Assembly in 1982. So Quebec and Alberta, they, they, they have the same idea. They, fight, they are fighting for their autonomy. So uh, your question about uh, the Constitution and, and being sure to, to respect the Constitution, the federal government usually wants to have more visibility and is buying vote with, with money. And the best way to do that is to create a new program, a new national program. The best example is um, uh, the scandal that we had in Quebec during the, the last referendum. Trudeau went spent a lot of money in Quebec to try to change the, the vote mm -hmm. over there. But it's always the same. The federal government think that you know, if they don't show to their population that they're doing something for them, they won't be reelected. But the Constitution, the father of our country, they didn't see our, our federation like that. Like you just said, strong, sovereign province with, uh, with their jurisdiction and their responsibilities. And the federal government must be in charge of money, uh, international affairs, and all uh, interprovincial affairs also. So in the Constitution, you have usually a smaller government. But because of politics and politicians at the federal level that want to be reelected, try to create a new program that is against uh, the Constitution. And they're doing that because they have the money also. And that's all the question of the, uh, the, the um, spending power in Ottawa. They think that Canada and the federal government, with the surplus that they had during that time, they can spend money in exclusive provincial jurisdiction mm -hmm. and with some condition. But that's unconstitutional. That that uh, uh, power don't exist, uh, doesn't exist, sorry, in the Constitution. The federal government doesn't have the right to spend money in provincial jurisdiction. So, and that was so important that in the Lac-Meach Accord, long time ago, Brian Maroney put that, he said he, in this accord, I want the federal government to have the right to spend money in proven into mm -hmm. provincial jurisdiction, and they don't. So, so you need to change that. You need to be sure. And by the way, with what happened right now with the discussion here in, in Alberta about the unity, the pipelines, and all that, uh, and I think we'll have that discussion. We will have that discussion, and, and we want to put that debate in from the, uh, the news. 
And I think that's hugely important because when you draw that contrast of, of Quebec and Alberta and all the things Alberta could do, pension plan, income tax collection, uh, police force, these things. Pension. The, yeah, yeah, the difference is that Quebec has done all that while getting subsidized by the rest of the country, including yeah. Alberta, yeah. whereas Alberta is still doing the subsidizing. And, and Alberta can do all of that, but a lot of these discussions all lead back to equalization, yeah. which cannot be done unilaterally by a province. Do you see any way that the federal government, liberal or conservative, would take a redrawing, a reevaluation of equalization seriously? I think they will have to do that today. What is the goal of the equalization formula? It's to be sure that uh, every citizen living in Moncton or in uh, Calgary will have the same level of service from the federal government, from their provincial mm -hmm. government, sorry. So that's why they want to help everybody in having the same kind of uh, uh, um, living standard. So, but because of the recession right now and maybe a depression, because Alberta uh, is in a, in a deep uh, recession right now, in two years, they won't be able to give money to other provinces. Mm -hmm. So you have a kind of, a, it's bad to say, but every province will be at the same poor level. And so you will need to have a discussion about equalization. You will need to have a discussion about how much money you're giving. And I think that will come. And at that time, we will be there, we at the PPC, to force that discussion and, and force provinces other provinces to develop their natural resources. You know, in Quebec, we receive equalization, but I don't believe Quebec is a poor province. And Quebecers don't believe that also. They just want to, to develop their natural resources, but the Quebec government say, no, no, we have a moratorium on shell gas, where, and if they develop their shell gas, they won't receive so much money from the equalization. So there's no incentive for Quebec, New Brunswick, or other provinces to develop their economy. I think that discussion will come, and that's why it's important. It's important for, for us at the BBC and for, for Canadians that I think they need our voice in Ottawa. I thought that was an interesting interview, and, and one of the interesting aspects of it was him taking aim at the Maverick Party, which has kind of popped up as being a Western voice in the national political discourse. But Maxime saying, listen, if you're going to have any progress here, it's going to come from a provincial party at the provincial level. This is a, a provincial-led discussion, not a federal one. And I, I found that interesting. And, and certainly, there, there may be a bit of self-interest there because the PPC wants votes. They don't want to lose votes to another party going after people that might have some overlap. But I also think it's worth listening to to some extent because you don't want to further fragment federal politics when there are things that a provincial government can do. But you need to actually lay a strong foundation for that, which means you need to have a province that's prepared to say, listen, we're not going to take it anymore. We're mad as hell. We're not going to take it anymore, which is exactly what a lot of Albertans want from Jason Kenney. Now, Jason Kenney, I interviewed him in December. We spoke a little bit about Western alienation. He's very aware of it. He's aware of the problem, but he is also a committed federalist. And he's been criticized, even from within his own party for that to some extent, because they want someone who is prepared to pull the exit hatch opening if that's what's necessary, not as a first resort, but to have it available as a last resort. Jason Kenney led the Fair Deal panel process, which one of his own MLAs, Drew Barnes, who sat on the panel, thought at the end of it didn't really reflect a lot of the conversations that were had and a lot of the suggestions 
that people in the province put forward. One of the folks who has stepped up to the plate at the provincial level to drive these discussions is Paul Hinman. He is the interim leader of the Wild Rose Independence Party, formerly a leader of the original Wild Rose Alliance before it merged with the PCs to become the new United Conservative Party. But Paul Hinman has been trying to put forward a strong provincial-led and Alberta-led agenda that would drive a lot of these issues that Albertans are concerned about. This is my chat with Paul Hinman. When we spoke last time, it was in the summer at the last Freedom Talk, and uh, we had just come off the Fair Deal panel, which I think gave some people some encouragement, although as we heard from uh, MLA Drew Barnes, not quite far enough to, to what a lot of people were saying. We fast forward to now, we're closer to this referendum that's been promised. Where do you think the di dialogue really is on independence? Where do you think it's going? Do you think it's moving in a good direction or a bad one? Well, I, I think with COVID and the complications that that's happened, that we see the federal interference and, and the importance of a provincial government that will stand up for the rights and the freedoms of Albertans. But it's, it's quite obvious that, that Kenny is in you know, cahoots or part of the, the federal idea and the global idea right now that this is a, a terrible, uh, vicious virus that's killing people, which it isn't. And, and again, so Albertans are, are very frustrated and hurt, especially in rural Alberta, and, and wanting the government to stand up for them and to end the lockdown. When you're a, I don't want to say a single issue party, but when you're a party that's structured primarily around the idea of getting a better deal for Alberta, and you have all of these issues that are coming up, like lockdowns, like healthcare spending, like just general day-to-day -day government, how important is it for you, if at all, to stay focused on that independence movement, or do you find you have to veer into all of these different areas when now the culture has moved to one where lockdowns need to be the pressing political discussion? I think that what we really need to offer is real answers for Albertans, that they need good government. They need a better health care system. They need, you know, our education system. It's Government is failing Albertans in so many aspects right now. And again, too often it's about a right or a left issue, but having a good health care system isn't right or left. That's just good governance, mm -hmm. and it's having a proper system in place, which we don't have. And probably COVID is... is, is shone the light on that more than anything because all we hear the premier say is that we got to protect our health care system. It's not about protecting Albertans. It's not about protecting the education. It's about protecting the health care system. Why? Because it's a failing system. It's not robust enough. He could have had a whole year that he could have been building more senior care facilities. He could have been training more nurses, could have been bringing in equipment, uh, buying field tents, if that's what it is. But the fact of the matter is our, our health care system has been at 100% for 20 years and so they say we can't afford to have anybody sick because we don't have the capacity. We've had a year and billions of dollars spent and, and no capacity. It's, it, it's as pathetic now as it was a year ago. Only the people are, 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 are worn out and, and exhausted because of the way they're operating the system. I spoke with Premier Kenny in December, and he had said in that interview and in other public fora that he was quite proud of Alberta not going full lockdown like other provinces and having what he characterizes as relatively relatively laxer restrictions compared to other jurisdictions. Do you think there is any credit due there? No. <laughs> okay, well, that was clear. That was clear, but why not? Well, because, you know, this is the problem of why a government needs to protect individuals. For him to use numbers, if you, if you own a gym and you put your life's work into that and you're told that you can't open that gym 
have you done a good job? Has he protected the interest? I mean, he said in December 11th that I was wrong to pick winners and losers. It's not the government's job to say these are essential services and these aren't, especially when you see what he, what he picked is even more disgusting. And, and so, no, if you're failing, whether it's, it's 2% or 15% because of partisan politics, that's a failure in my books. And, and there's way too many people that have been personally affected on this. And he can look at the numbers and say it's okay, but it's not. If you, if you actually have a, a just society, we don't pick winners and losers and say, well, we're all in this together, but Andrew, you're the one who has to sacrifice. That, that's not, not right. The former Wild Rose Alliance and Wild Rose Party had positioned itself to the right of, of the PCs. The, I think the way that the Wild Rose Independence Party now is characterized is to the right of, of the UCP. I want to ask you if that's a reasonable characterization, because I would say that independence itself, just like you said about a good healthcare system, is not a left-right issue. And, and, you know, there are people on the far left that might be very thrilled to say, yeah, we want to be able to have more socialism in Alberta or something like that. Do you find that there is a coalition that's spanning traditional political identity, or is this still a conservative movement? I, I, I want to say as it continues to grow and people see government interference, and, and like for, for me, when you talk about the left or the right, it's, it's more do you want big government mm -hmm. or, or do you want individual responsibility? And, and there's always those that are looking at big government, but, but we, we can look and even see here in Alberta, you know, centralized health care has failed. Centralized education system is not giving our children the education system they, they, they could have. And, and so when, when you're actually talking and looking about individuals, it's not left or right. This is about good government. This is taking the taxpayer's money and, and using it in a, in a prudent way that we actually see the cost-benefit analysis and, and understand that this, this is going to be a better system. But what we see right now is just a, a growth of government and, and public services that are that seem to be shrinking, but government's growing and management's growing and we're managing the managers. And, and so, no, I don't really think it's so much as the left as the right as it is, is that, you know, if, if we use taxpayers' money well, if we have the, 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 the how would you say it, the, the, the structure of health care and education uh, to the benefit of, of, of every Albertan, that, that's, that's where we can go. If the economy is booming, um, our education, our health care, our senior care, all of that will be improving. And so it, it's about, to me, it's kind of like an airplane. You got your right wing, you got your left wing. The right wing's your economy, the left wing's your social programs, and they balance out. As government, we, we spend what we bring in, and, and we can sort the new heights if we keep it balanced. But when you're running deficits, when you're uh, you know, doing all of this crazy stuff with the economy and shutting down different areas, it's just a matter of when the right wing's failing, uh, we're going to go into a death spiral. And, and again, the social services are, are, are just eating up everything and undermining our future. Yeah, I mean, and I get that, that you don't want to view it entirely as, as left versus right. But, but you know politics and you know oh. political coalitions. So I, I guess the, the better way to ask it is, do you see support? And I know you're leading a young party relatively, but do you see support as coming from disenfranchised UCP voters? Or do you also see people that have historically voted for the NDP, for the Liberal, for the Alberta party? Do you see them as, as joining this? And, and if not, I guess the extension of that is, if not, how will this not just be in effect, splitting the UCP vote come the next election? Well, that, that's an excellent question, Andrew. And I guess I'd have to say is the question is, is splitting the vote, are, are you standing up for Alberta 
or are you standing up for Ottawa? And when you look at the NDP and, and the, the, the UCP, they're very much standing with Ottawa. And what we're actually doing is standing up for Alberta. And yes, the, the, the majority of people that are supporting us are people that have conservative principles and realize that the proper role of government, they want more freedoms, they want their individual rights protected, they want property rights protected. I mean, Jason and, and Rachel are the same way. They, they, they haven't said anything about you know, the order and council on the gun grab. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not in there. The, the people want a province that's actually going to stand up for their property rights, stand up for their freedoms. And when it comes to COVID and the property, all those things, th these two previous governments are, are failing Albertans. But yes, it's conservative principles that we're based on. Maxime Bernier had mentioned something in his remarks this weekend that I found quite interesting, which was that the solution to this issue is not going to come from a, a federal party with an Alberta focus, but rather a, a provincial party with an Alberta focus. And he was, of course, taking a very direct swipe at the Maverick Party, which has been established at the federal level. And I was curious for your thoughts, because you're going the provincial route. You've been a provincial MLA. You're leading now a provincial party. Why is this something that can't be addressed in the way that the Maverick Party is trying to, by being a, a federal party pushing an Alberta first mandate? Well, the, the question is, do you just want to be a roadblock or do you actually want to, to see change? And, and just with the, the, the Maverick Party, their limitations are is that they're just going out there to, to be able to speak up for us. But whether we have zero people speaking up for us or 20%, under our Constitution, the way things are, it makes no difference because it's the voting that counts. Mm -hmm. And whether, you know, Maxine did an excellent job on the Triple E Senate, it, okay, we're only represented at 6% in the Senate, so it doesn't work for us. If we have uh, equal Senate, we're, we're going to get 10 or 11 percent. It's still a minority. Still 90 percent against yeah, you, and, yes. And, and again, <laughs> it goes back to a referendum, you know. It doesn't matter whether you get 9 percent or 49 percent, you failed. And, and so with yeah, Max... Yeah, the old line but, from my dad is that close is only good in horseshoes and hand grenades. Hand grenades, yes. And, uh, <laughs> and, and 10 percent isn't even close. <laughs> no. And, and again, what Maxine is offering, though, is a solution to, to radically decentralize Canada, mm -hmm. which needs to be done. You know, central government doesn't work. And, and what Ontario or Quebec wants isn't what Alberta wants or needs. And, and it's the same. And so, uh, no, I, I totally agree with Maxine and the principles that, that he is governing on and, and offering to Canadians. Th those will work. It's a solution. The, the Wild Rose Independence Party, like, like we have solutions. You know, we have a major problem with the police force in rural Alberta. RCMP are not able to, to, to accomplish what we need. We need to have our own police force with civilian oversight. You know, the pension plan is not working uh, for Albertans. It's costing us money. We could actually enhance the, the benefits and reduce the premiums if we had a provincial one like uh, Quebec has. And so all of these things that our current and past governments are failing on, and we're offering uh, you know, an improved uh, opportunity and quality of life for Albertans with what we're, what we're proposing. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what it is that the Alberta independence movement is about, and I guess that would extend to your party. So I have to ask you, is your party, in your view, are you envisioning a separatist party? Well, we're the Wild Rose Independence Party of Alberta. And, and it's about independence. And people will argue back and forth, you know, a separatist, independent. Uh, we're, we're about independence. It's about putting our house in order, showing Albertans that, that look, this is what we can do as a government for you, and, and they can see the benefits of it. And then Albertans will get to decide in a referendum whether they want to be a sovereign nation or part of Canada. So your view is that independence and separation are, are not inherently synonymous? 
Well, no, like a lot of separatist party, and, and again, this is what you hear with the Fair Deal panel and everything, is used as a leverage, threaten. You know, that, that, mm -hmm. you know we're, we're going to threaten this if we don't get that. And some people, if we don't, like, like Jason Kenney's thing is, is if we don't get pipelines, we're going to have a referendum on equalization. And, and what we're about is actually about uh, uh, independent Alberta that actually has control of our taxation, has control of our environmental act, has control on our immigration, has control, you know, on all aspects of our lives. But right now, the federal intrusion is, is, is just killing Alberta, the economy, the future, the hope, our taxation. And so we, we need to be independent from Ottawa. Interim leader of the Wild Rose Independence Party, Paul Hinman. Paul, thanks very much for your time. Thank, thank you, Andrew. Now, now, I must say, just on, on a general note here, I know a lot of uh, Alberta independence folks uh, just love hearing uh, someone from Ontario talk to them about Western alienation and Western independence. But as I've always said, I've got more of an Alberta sensibility about me than I do an Ontario sensibility. And I always appreciate the hospitality of the people of Alberta whenever I'm out here. I can, I can say that because I'm actually in Alberta right now. But I do think that there was a lot in that that was very interesting and certainly relevant to the political discourse moving forward. Now, we know in Canada how difficult it is for upstart parties. Every now and then, someone has the ability to ride a wave and, and achieve a very early success. But in a lot of cases, as Maxime has said, you have to build this thing over time. A lot of people feel like they just don't have that time now. And we are reaching a boiling point and things like the carbon tax Supreme Court decision will only hasten the arrival of that boiling point, which is why I wanted to have these conversations. I know it's a complex issue. I know there's no silver bullet, but at the very least, we need to have that discussion, which the federal liberals and the mainstream media are completely and utterly uninterested in having. They would be just as happy if you could just like a Bugs Bunny, just take a big giant hacksaw and carve the West out of the picture and not have to worry about them. But you can't do that. And you don't want to see what happens to the Canadian economy if you do. My thanks again to Danny Hozak for having me out and to all of those tuning in, as well as Maxime Bernier, Paul Hinman, and once again, Danny, for sitting down with me in Alberta. I am off next week, but we'll be back in just a couple of weeks' time with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.